Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode of Business of Film, episode number 60. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you are listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. This week, we have... Dan Lyon on the show. Uh, Dan works at Telefilm Canada. Uh, Telefilm is uh, the national uh, creative funding body for uh, for film, uh, amongst many other things that uh, that they do. And uh, Dan represents them here in Toronto. Uh, he is the regional director. Uh, and uh, we get into all types of topics on on this show uh, that I'm actually very proud to have had the opportunity to talk to Dan about. We talk about uh, the role of government in film. We talk about uh, uh, we talk about young filmmakers and how you develop young filmmakers. We talk about pitching and what goes wrong more often than not. We, we talk about uh, really a, a very holistic approach that Dan has to evaluating projects and how he evaluates projects. And we also talk about what goes wrong. So, uh, Dan, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing uh, some of those stories and some of those insights with our audience. Uh, for those who are listening and uh, who have been connecting with us online, uh, thank you. It is very much appreciated. We have been uh, just having some pretty cool dialogue out there with uh, some of our listeners uh, who have been emailing us at coffee at crafttruck.com. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email us there anytime. We will get back to you on Twitter. You can find us at Craft Truck. Thank you for listening. And of course, if you haven't yet subscribed to the feed and you listen to this on iTunes, uh, please go push that little subscribe button. You can get our feed straight to your podcatcher of choice. And um, I guess, well, that's all I have to say about that. So thank you for listening. And here we go with episode, episode number 60, Dan Line. My pleasure to be on the show. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, so I am Dan Lyon, and I'm the regional feature film executive for Ontario and Nunavut for Telefilm Canada. Telefilm Canada is a federal Canadian government agency. We have about 200 employees, and we're dedicated to the promotion and success of the Canadian audiovisual industry. Uh, my own focus is feature films, and more specifically, lower-budget feature films, which we defined as, as films under $2.5 million. Uh, my career pre-telefilm involved largely distribution, executive producing, and producing, uh, with the bulk of my career being at a company called Astral, which is a major Canadian public company recently sold to Bell. And uh, during the course of my career there, I had the pleasure of learning a variety of businesses and contributing to them, including theatrical distribution, home video, television, merchandising of children's products, film financing, technical services, and broadcasting. So it was a pretty broad base, and um, I, am, uh, I was very happy to kind of start as a very young executive in business affairs, knowing very little, to be honest, about the industry, and then having the benefit of a great group of people, including Harold Greenberg himself, who were able to train me and give me the freedom to learn the business, and I ended up as executive vice president of a major public company. So that was a pretty good trajectory. Now, what I love about somebody who is in the position that you're in and, and having these conversations uh, is really the scope of product and films that come across your desk. And what I mean by that is when you see so much and when you've been in the business and have had so many conversations, because that, that, that is your, your job really is to have all these conversations with all these filmmakers, I believe that 
somebody like yourself would start to to pick up patterns and 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 ways of that younger filmmakers specifically think about film and think about the way they they try and put their films together. When a project comes to your desk and it's the first thing that you see from a, a filmmaker who's trying to put together either two hundred and fifty to say seven hundred fifty thousand dollar film in that range. What are the kinds of things that you just internally go to in terms of your internal checklist, the things that you look for? And not so much on, is this going to be a project that's right for telephone, but what are, the th- what are your starting points when you look and you start analyzing and, and looking at a project? It's a great question, and I'll go back a step, because what I'd like to relay, especially for the benefit of uh, any filmmakers who may be listeners to the podcast, is that... It normally starts with building a relationship as opposed to simply receiving a a fully formed project on my desk. So in other words, it starts with a conversation about, you know, here's who I am, here's what I've done, would you like to look at my short film, or I have multiple short films, could you take a look? And then since filmmaking is really a collaborative art, here's my team. So I'm a director, here's my writer, here's my producer, here's my DOP, here's my exact producer who's going to act as mentor on this project because, let's say, we're, we're new to it. And so that's what it starts. It starts from a very human place of here, here's who we are and here's what we've done. Please look at my work. Let's talk about the work and let's go from there. So that's step one. And then step two is the specific project and making sure that the project that the team has in mind is appropriate for their talents, their skills, and their background. So uh, sometimes people are a little bit overly ambitious. Not to say that ambition is a bad thing. Ambition is a great thing. But a dose of realism is important, too, because if you suddenly need, let's say, $5 million, and all you have to show is one short, uh, it's highly unlikely that that's the way you should be spending um, your life at this time. It, it's a bit of a ladder. You might want to do a credit card type film first where you don't need any outside financing. And then you use that to demonstrate to financiers, including distributors and telefilm and other players that you have certain capabilities. And then you have the chance to do, let's say, your Actra tip film which could be budgeted, let's say, at around $275,000. And then after you've done that, you do your $500,000 film and then your million-dollar film and then up, upwards from there. So we do look at the material itself very carefully. What I am continually surprised at is when I ask people to express the theme of their project, they're often not able to articulate it. And they're often not able to articulate who the target audience is. So I would say that those are two main things to look at when you're approaching financiers, especially people you might not know very well. You need to have the ability to relay very quickly not only the plot, because the plot is not the movie, but what's the theme, what's the genre, what am I trying to say, and what's the scope of the... Uh, of the film, both on a creative basis and a business basis. So uh, I'll just give you a quick example. My yeah, lunch sure. meeting today, for example, so I, I need to, to, to say what I'm about to say without saying the specific film, 
but uh, a very good team, but a new team. In other words, a new producer and a new director asked me to please read their script because they're anticipating filing an application at some point a few weeks from now. And uh, the, uh, the filmmaker is actually a well-known actor, so it's someone I've known from the community for several years. And he's attached to a very good producer who happens to be a well-known agent. So they're people with a lot of credibility, but what they're doing now is they're changing hats. And the actor is becoming a, a director, and he's written an excellent script. So I took a look at the script, and the first thing I see right away is that it is written to take place in both Toronto and London, England. And so the first question at lunch was uh, related to how important is it that the location be Toronto and London, England, because there's obviously a budgetary impact on doing that for your first feature. The second thing we were able to discuss is cast, and this project was quite a bit ahead of what I would say most of the lower budget uh, project pitches I get uh, because they already have their male and female lead who are both well-known. Uh, they're already locked. So that's, a, that's uh, something very interesting. Um, the next thing I noticed in the script is a lot of locations. So leaving aside the question of two countries, there were 20 or 30 different locations and lots of time period shifts. So those also have a budgetary impact. So we needed to discuss that. And, um, you know, those are very practical things. Then from there, you start talking about the theme and what you're trying to express and certainly talking about the target audience and what distributors have been approached, if any, in order to gain what I would call some traction in the project. So you're moving, you're not just trying to move telefilm ahead, you're trying to move all of the financing pieces together in a way that a telefilm and any other player will see that the financing is closable, and then the other half of the equation, of course, uh, is the creative. So if the script needs a bit of work, that's fine. If it needs a year's worth of work, and uh, the proposal is to shoot in the summer, then obviously something's out of whack. So and the, then, yeah, this is actually really interesting, Dan, because I, what, I'm, what I'm hearing here is, I mean, this is a first meeting that you're having with people that you know, admittedly, but still, the questions that are coming up are distribution, cast, location, budget, scope, target market. It's a very holistic view for... Uh, for a project, in its in 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 its essence, it's a a producerial view. You're taking the kind of position that almost any executive producer would take when they're looking at the scope of a project. To uh, and almost more so than an investor, it's very very sort of those questions are very collaborative, and so it kind of pushes it, it pushes this conversation for me at least to that place where it's like, okay, should. I mean, how deep do you need to go in a project as part of your own evaluation, both personally and also from the, from the, from the perspective of telephone? Because you kind of cross into this world of, okay, what is your role or what, and what is the role in sort of a government agency to dive into all of these kinds of questions? Right. So uh, let me address that in a few ways. 
One is that in your excellent off-the-cuff list of all the things that, that tend to come up, and it was a super list, there was one thing that I noticed was missing that's really important, which is who is the team. So one of the most frequent uh, questions that I have of a new team is, are you sure you've assembled all of the people that you need to have on your team to make this project a success? So I'm not talking now about do you have you know the, necessarily the right caterer or 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 you know or even the right DOP, but at this stage, who on your team has closed the bank financing? Who on your team has ever negotiated a deal with a distributor? So questions like that, or who on your team has ever been the on-set producer being responsible for a budget? So that's a question that's really important, and it ties into what I think is the t subtext of your question, which is, I'm not going to fulfill any of those roles. Much as you know, every individual who works in entertainment, they always, you know, they enjoy doing their job, and maybe they might have an idea that they'd be good at doing other jobs. And, and in the case of me, I've done many of the other jobs. But I know where the line is drawn. I don't, for example, come to set except usually once. And the reason I come to set is so that the cast and the crew and the producers know that I genuinely care about the production. And I come to say hello and to be introduced to people and watch what's going on for an hour or two, and then I leave. So... I'm not there in any kind of a supervisory role. Um, I think that my responsibility is to make sure that the producing team has the essential building blocks that they need. In other words, I help to position them to make their project a success. And it is their project. If they want to treat me as a partner, uh, I'm not talking about me individually, but if they want to treat Telefilm as a partner, I think that's an appropriate way of looking at it, but we're not a partner in the sense of telling anyone what to do. We're uh, a partner in the sense of helping them to position for success and then, frankly, helping them to promote their film after it's available to, to be promoted. Um, it, what's interesting about this conversation for our audience who is who is global in nature, not only for, you know, our there there's a great deal, obviously, Canadians listening as well, but there are government agencies, just like Telefilm Canada, all over the world, supporting culture, helping filmmakers uh, realize their films. The funny thing is, one of the number one questions that, that I get asked, and, and, and I want to I ask this, this question of you, when people call from the States, is they ask questions like, can we partner with Telefilm Canada? And I, and, and I mean that in not just in that financial sense, but in that genuine sense, Telephone Canada is a very, very well-known presence globally. Uh, they have a wonderful way of marketing themselves at uh, all the international film festivals, uh, Cannes, AFM, Sundance. Their presence is known internationally. And so from that global presence, people all over the world are calling producers like myself and others all over Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and all over, and they're asking that same question. Can we work with Telefilm Canada? Can you just talk about th that from the perspective of that intern that I don't, not from the perspective of can we co-produce with Canada, but 
can from from the perspective of you know can can in, can in international people come and collaborate with telephone so it, it's a great question because what it leads to in my view is a discussion about what's the mandate of telefilm as opposed to the mandate of other government instruments that are available to assist the industry so as an example the tax credits and as as you know there's different levels of tax credits and one is a service tax credit that's emphatically geared as a hundred percent industrial strategy to attract productions to a particular province or to uh, Canada as a country. And uh, those instruments exist parallel to Telefilm, which is not so much an industrial agency as a cultural agency. My particular fund at Telefilm, uh, there's an added gloss because our major mandate is talent building, and it's talent building of Canadian talent. So Canadian producers, Canadian directors, Canadian writers, and to some extent, even the Canadian on-screen talent. Once you get into more expensive movies that are in what we call our national fund, the mandate shifts to a more commercial mandate where the, uh, the goal is to attract as many eyeballs in Canada and around the world as possible. So uh, for more expensive films, there's a stronger argument to be made uh, of the type of collaboration that you are mentioning. So not only collaboration among different financing parties, but uh, different creative elements. So in other words, actors from different countries and um, use of the international co-production treaties. There is a problem inherent in kind of the way that you've framed your question uh, is something that happens to me at least once a week, and, and I don't mind telling you what it is, which is I get a call from an American, and it may be someone who I know from doing past business, or it may be someone who's an acquaintance of an acquaintance of an acquaintance, or someone who's met somebody from Telefilm traveling at a market like Cannes or Berlin or, or so on. And so the question is, essentially, how do I take advantage of the Canadian funding system when I don't have by accident of birth or marriage to be a Canadian? And uh, my answer has to be quite emphatic, which is that we're in the business of assisting productions that are driven from Canada. We're not in the business of assisting service productions. That's what the tax credits are for. I want to go back to some of the stuff that, that does come across your desk and some of the, the learning points and things that, that you see uh, on a constant basis. And I think where you said that, that, that kind of that team equation, that very holistic approach to thinking about it from the people out, um, it really is a wonderful way to look at making sure that you've got a good team who can put a project together. On a practical level, are there certain, I don't want to say mistakes, but certain things that, that producers and directors and filmmakers should be aware of things that you see, you know, time and time again that people aren't thinking about that maybe they should be thinking about when they come and they approach uh, you or, or, or a government body? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing is keeping an audience in mind while you're developing and packaging your project. 
And it's, it's really crucial, even though the target audience might change between the time you initiate a project and the time the movie's completed, you still need to have a particular audience in mind in order to position yourself for success. The other main mistake I think people make is, for some odd reason, being reluctant to ask for help when they need it. So I'll give you an example. Um, a team came to visit me a few days ago, and I had asked them to please bring a draft financing plan. I had already read the script, but I didn't know what their business plan was. So they, they brought a draft financing plan, and the tax credits in the draft financing plan added up to 55%. And I asked them, well, how did you come to this? And then they explained that, well, they had, they had looked up what tax credits are available, and they had added up the service tax credit and the labor tax credit and the animation tax credit, because there's a bit of animation in the film, and uh, a fourth credit, I forget what it is, and they, so they grouped them all, and, and, and they thought that a reasonable plan was tax credits were going to be 55%. <laughs> now, I, I, right, so I, I mean, I've, uh, maybe, some, maybe someone who's listening to this will call you up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's totally feasible, but I can tell you from my experience, I've never seen it. So uh, when I told them what mistake they had made, they said, oh, well, you know, that's why we came to you. You know, we knew that you would help us. And much as I think that that is a little bit, uh, you know, maybe it's stroking my ego. I don't mind having the image out in the community that I'm willing to help people. In terms of the specific project, they've done themselves a disservice because all they've done is demonstrated to me that they're not the right team for the project that they're pitching because they don't have enough experience. Not only don't they have enough experience, they didn't even have the, the chutzpah, if I could call it that, to find an appropriate person to ask, would you please look at my financing plan for five minutes because we're going to speak to Telefilm and we want to make sure we're putting our best foot forward. So I think that that's really important. The other thing people should do is that not every producer is a natural performer. So you should have someone on your team who is very good on their feet and is prepared to do a good pitch of the project and is also prepared to improvise a bit because it's not only a matter of rehearsing your, your pitch. First of all, if it's over-rehearsed, it's going to sound too, too uh, artificial and it's not going to be very impressive. But the other thing is that uh, whether it's telefilm or any financier, whether public or private or a distributor, they're going to ask questions. And you need someone who knows the material intimately and is very articulate and very good on their feet in order to deal with those questions. The next kind of place that I kind of want to go with this conversation is, to a certain extent, uh, the I don't want to say the, the, the role of government and maybe looking for an eloquent way to, to phrase it, but there is this, there is this, certainly a uh, two sides of the same coin, which is the commercial and the cultural, and whether uh, uh, governments should be in the in in in, in the business of, of film at all, and whether or not their filmmakers should have that kind of government support. Um, I, I think that it's kind of one of those questions that it, it does come up. Uh, I think it's a valid question, at least, uh, and I'd certainly love to get your your opinion on how you feel it helps the community, if you feel it really does help the community, and if you feel it has a place uh, 
uh, in the overall structure of financing films today? What you find is that what the politicians had in mind was nation building. So in other words, showing Canadians to each other, but also showing Canada to the world. And the thought was that if we're a significant country, every other significant country has a film industry, and why did Canada not have a film industry? And there are a number of reasons why the industry in Canada was slow, especially on the English-speaking side, slow to evolve. And it, um, those reasons can be put in economic terms. So let me talk very briefly uh, about the economic basis for government intervention in the film industry or any other cultural sector. But in film in particular, there's what economists would call structural imbalances in production. So in Canada, there's about a thousand production companies. Most of them are tiny. Most of them, I would say, don't have an office outside of somebody's apartment or house. And they're not really viable as a permanent going concern. They're really, uh, you know, an entity set up to make a particular project. And at Telefilm, by the way, we do see a lot of people make features and then they somehow disappear, which is not really our goal. Our goal is to build an industry that consists of directors, producers, writers, and other talented people who are going to consistently come up to bat and uh, a reasonable percentage of the time succeed. Another example of a structural imbalance is distribution. So in the theatrical arena, there's one large company, uh, a whole bunch of small companies. Some of the smaller companies are, are attracting capital and uh, getting larger, and um, it's, uh, it, 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 there, there are definitely imbalances there. And then in exhibition, it's very, very apparent in Canada of uh, market failure because there's one dominant player and then uh, independent cinemas and a few uh, small chains. Um, and, uh, and, let, let, let me actually stop you there on that point. Sure. Uh, because I think that right, right there, that, that's not only a challenge for, for any filmmaker, but if you're trying to build an audience... Uh, for your film, for any film, getting it seen is by far the largest, largest challenge, period. I mean, uh, as we've said time and time again on, the, on this show, you're not only competing against, you know, whatever's playing right now in cinemas, but you're competing against the entire history of cinema uh, when you put a film out there. So do, do, you, do you see your, do you see Telefilm or your role or being able to help these filmmakers have an impact in, in, in getting films viewed by the public? Or is it more just skewing towards, well, if we, can, if we can continue to build good talent, then we're just giving them the best chance of success? Um, no, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good question. But, uh, but under our, uh, le- the leadership of our exec director, whose name is Carol Brabant, we've been quite emphatic over the last few years that we see our role... Uh, among other roles, as uh, we're an agency that promotes. So we promote the talent itself, and we promote Canadian talent even when they are involved in non-Canadian movies as well as Canadian movies. So, for example, there's some well-known directors who are Canadian directors who now are getting work in the U.S., but they're also coming back to Canada to direct Canadian films. So people like Jean-Marc Vallée and Denis Villeneuve. 
And we like that, and we're prepared to promote them and promote their value, whether or not the movie that's currently on screen happens to be Canadian. So we see that as really, really important, but we need to go back a step and look at the fact that, well, where are people seeing these films, especially if they're smaller films? One place they're seeing them is in festivals. So uh, Telefilm supports numerous festivals from coast to coast. We also support uh, companies and organizations who are formed in order to promote the industry, people like the First Weekend Club. Uh, we're also involved in various partnerships with the schools and co-ops across the country, and in particular right now we have a micro-budget uh, film financing fund where our partners are 39 institutions across Canada, each one of which on an annual basis chooses one project that they would like to see move forward, and out of those 39, we're able to finance 8 to 10. So it's a really, really good program. So we don't think we can do everything on our own, but we think that we're a really good industry partner, and uh, we need to try to attract not only more training, more festivals and so on, but more financing sources. Very, very important. The percentage of government financing in Canadian films is not likely to increase from its current levels. It's more likely to decrease. So that's going to have to be replaced by outside money. And one of the initiatives that we have taken is we've established a talent fund to attract private money uh, that will be allocated by Telefilm. So in other words, it's not allocated by a private company or a private foundation or individual to a particular project. Telefilm makes the selection, uh, but the, uh, the provider of the money is entitled, if they have a special interest, let's say in animation or new talent or Aboriginal talent or French language talent, whatever their inclination is, they could give us that level of instruction. But in terms of the particular film, the experts at Telefilm are going to allocate the money and not increasing our admin costs by one cent. So in other words, it's the same team of people who are in charge of selecting the projects. It's the same team of people who do the business affairs and the contracting on the projects. So admin costs have been raised by zero but the amount of money flowing into the system has increased already by millions of dollars. But it, it sounds, I mean, really, the, that, that, that's a story of, of, of government and private sector partnership is really what, what that story, to me at least, is about, is that no matter what sector you're, going, you're, you're in, which is interesting because you think, okay, I don't have enough money to make my, my film. Uh, I need some support. I'm in... I'm in the United, the United Kingdom, I'm in South Africa, I'm in New Zealand, I'm in Australia. A lot of these, uh, you know, countries that have similar su support systems and they look to their regional or their national equivalent of telefilm to, to help them make their films. And the story that you're, that you're telling right now, I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect is the same thing that every national... Uh, support agencies such as Telefilm is probably going through, which is there's just not enough money in the system, period, that they need to have more public uh, uh, um, partnership with the private sector in order to just continue to not only make films but development, develop talent and do all those things that, that you're talking about. And that's interesting. Absolutely. Because like, it talks about, it's, it's kind of like it's, 
it's is, is the the economics of it. It kind of comes back to the whole economics of it. What's holding all the economics of it up at the end of the day? You know, it's, it's well. Weird... I, I think it's a neat segue to to something that that you may find amusing, and your listeners may find amusing. When I was working as a distributor, and the company I was working at got taken over by a major conglomerate who shall remain nameless, I was called into the office of the chief finance officer of the conglomerate. Uh, who 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 made me fly from Toronto to Montreal for an early morning meeting, and then told me he really only had one question for me. So I said, "Sure, you know, how can I help you?" And his question was, "Why don't you just buy hits?" So that it was not a joke. That was his question. He looked at all the films that we'd released over the past couple of years, and he saw that some succeeded, and some did great, and some did not well, and a couple failed miserably. And so his question is, why don't you just buy the great ones? Why are you buying all these other ones? And it's the same question in production. And this, um, I won't name the people, but your listeners will know who they are. There's some very well-placed public figures who've gone on record as saying, we shouldn't be making so many TV programs in Canada, or we shouldn't be making so many feature films in Canada. Why don't we just make a few and make all of them great? And isn't that nice in theory? except it doesn't work in practice. You need a critical mass, and you also need a large talent base who have the consistent ability to practice their various crafts. That's why there's centers of excellence in the world for different industries. And in, in uh, the U.S., Los Angeles, for example, is a, is a center for, for film and TV. In Canada, Toronto is a center, and we have other centers, including Montreal and Vancouver. But I was lucky enough to grow up in Toronto and to stay here, and we have such an active community that it's a tremendous amount of fun, and there's a lot of talent in this area. The people need a chance to practice their craft and to reach an audience. It simply doesn't work to say, let's take the same pot of money and let's only have uh, you know, half the number of films or TV shows and we'll probably reach a wider audience because the programming and the films will be better. Simply a very, very flawed theory. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. There's the, the other side of that is so bigger, bigger isn't necessarily better. Uh, less isn't necessarily bigger slash less isn't necessarily better and more just doing more taking the money and spreading it around to more people isn't necessarily better right because otherwise you're just giving 250 here 250 there 250 here 250 there and you spread your entire envelope on way too many products so you do have to find a balance absolutely the question is how is that balance actually I mean not from an economic sense but from a a creative sense. How is that balance found? Well, I mean, I'll go back to the economic for a second because the creative ties into the levels of budgets and the levels of experience of different teams. So we've divided uh, our little universe into, for example, micro-budget, which we call films budgeted anywhere up to $250,000. And that's the program that we do with various schools and co-ops. And our money is is a grant, so we don't spend any time at all worrying about recoupment. We're not trying to get our money back. What we're trying to do is give first-time filmmakers a chance. So that program's going well. And then the next step up is what we call lower budget, which is 250000 up to $2.5 million. And in that framework, we're able to support first-time filmmakers, second-time, third-time, and even a few very experienced filmmakers who are more comfortable working with a lower budget. 
And then once you jump over two and a half million, a very interesting thing starts to happen, which is our research shows that films budgeted between approximately two and a half million and approximately five million dollars tend not to do well on either a cultural or commercial basis. So in other words, they tend to give Telefilm and other financiers a very bad bang for the buck. So we focused our resources mostly under two and a half million dollars and over about six or seven million dollars. Now, can I ask you, I mean, that, right there, that, that band between 2.5 and, and, and 5, what do you make of that? Well, what I make of it is that um, it's not a high enough budget to attract a, a truly commercial cast, and the uh, production values are not demonstrably higher than the small films, and therefore there's, there, it, it, it's simply inefficient. I think the economists would just call it a lack of efficiency. In spending that extra couple million dollars, it doesn't buy you... Uh, enough production value to create a wider audience. Whereas once you get up above around $6 million, you're able to attract a cast that people have heard of. Um, you're, able to, uh, uh, you're able to have special effects at the highest level. You're able to do a lot of things that audiences find attractive. Do, do you feel that when people play in, because I know your, your specialty and the stuff that you focus on isn't that... Uh, um uh, the, the the sub two point five million range, at least the project that you're that you're funding. Do you find that I don't want to say there's more creativity because I, I think that's the wrong thing to say. But do you find that there's more ingenious ways of getting things done on the screen right now? I mean, one of the things that is just ubiquitous is just the ability for anybody right now to to make a film just because of technology. I mean, does that translate into the kinds of projects that you see? It, it does. I mean, people um, are very cognizant of writing scripts even, or in the case of a, a producer, uh, acquiring properties that are appropriate for the budget range. So I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, there's a film that uh, is a lower budget film that we were able to invest in last year, I'm going to have the first chance to see a rough cut in a couple days. And it's a film called Prisoner X. And the film was emphatically written to be produced on a low budget. The main character is a young woman military officer who is charged with interrogating a man who may or may not be a time-traveling terrorist from the future. And uh, so it's a low-budget thriller it required very little in the way of sets and locations because the location is an underground military facility with blank walls and you see a few people walking around but not too many. So it's an example of being creative and uh, another quick example I'll give is that a filmmaker uh, came to us saying that he had a relative who's a nurse in a Toronto hospital and she told him that one of the wings was closing and during a certain window of a few months, the hospital was prepared to allow film crews into that, uh, th that wing of the hospital. And so he commissioned the writing of a screenplay, not just for a hospital, but for that hospital. So he knew how many doors were on a floor. 
He knew where the elevator was. He knew where the windows were. And he also constructed a thriller for a specific location. So that's the kind of creativity that is needed. The other kinds of creativity are very important, including um, there are special effects houses in Canada that are eager to make their mark, and they are prepared to do a lot of work for a relatively low amount of money um, in order to demonstrate their skills. And I think it goes all the way down the line that we have a lot of people eager to show the world what we can accomplish, and so perhaps they don't charge the full freight of uh, what they would ordinarily want to charge in the expectation that once their services are better known, then they'll be able to make more money. Um, just maybe a, a couple more questions, if I may. Uh, sure. Wh- what is the... I, I don't want to say the, the, the break-in to the, the, the business, but if you're trying to get financing and work... I don't get finance. If you're trying to collaborate with... Uh, with Telefilm for the first time, where I, and I know we, I, I want to come full circle on on this point, which is where should someone start when they first approach, when when they make that first approach? Well, some people uh, hedge their bets a little bit, and this does go back to one of our earlier conversations by attracting a mentor or an exec producer who is prepared to endorse the project, but not merely endorse it. They're actually prepared to say, look, I'm going to supervise and help this person every way I can because I believe in him or I believe in her. And I've, I've seen their shorts or I've seen their music videos uh, or their web series or their so-called credit card film. I really want to see this person succeed. So I'm prepared to, to work. You know, Maybe I'll take a small fee out of the budget of five or ten thousand dollars but more importantly i'm going to lend my name and my expertise and my contacts and when there's a first meeting whether it's at telefilm or whether it's at a bank or whether it's at a distribution company that person normally would attend and that's one way frankly of immediately getting some attention Um, Another way of getting attention, and this works, I would say, equally well to the first example I gave, is if you have a calling card film, whether it's a short or or a credit card feature, if you have something that's fantastic, don't be shy about contacting uh, any person in the industry, no matter how well-known they are. Introduce yourself and say, please take six minutes to watch my short here are the festivals it's been at. Here's the awards that I've won, and uh, I think you'll like it. Do you, and, do, you do you encourage that as a as a as a method? Because that's that's kind of one of those questions that keeps on coming up, which is, you know, should I bother making a short, or should I just take the limited resource that we have and maybe just go try and make a feature with it? Uh, do you have any, I guess, opinion on what either you feel works better or comes across your desk more? Well, I think that that a, a, a high quality short, first of all, it it's, a, it's good to do because normally you don't just do one. You would do two, you would do three, you would do 12. Whereas, as opposed to uh, a micro-budget feature, uh, even though the financial resources that go in are low, it still requires a lot of sweat equity and a lot of favors, and it's very difficult to have multiple micro-budget features under your belt. Uh, I, I would say a lot easier to do a few high-quality 
shorts and, and, and then lead maybe to one credit card feature. One mistake that people make is to, sometimes they might make a short simply as a proof of concept for a feature, not, perhaps not realizing that the concept is a great concept for a very contained number of minutes, such as five minutes, but it's not a strong enough concept to extend to 90 or 100 minutes. So that's something that doesn't always work. If you say, here's my short, and I would like help from the community to make my short into a feature, um, the, the, the script has to be appropriate to do that. Every concept is not appropriate. Yeah, and, and I think the takeaway in, in what you said before is when it comes to uh, the short itself is, is that is a high-quality short. That you're not just making necessarily lots of little shorts, although the more experienced the merrier, but the fact that you've got that one high-quality visual piece of material that will get people excited about you as a filmmaker is, I think, the, the point that, that really drives home for you. It's important, and it's also important that it be recent. I mean, I'm hoping that comment doesn't sound silly, but I am approached by a lot of people who uh, I meet with. I'm, I'm happy to have a you know, cup of tea with almost anyone, and they say, can I send me, can, you know, I'm going to send you my short, is that okay? I say, fine, and then I discover that it was made 15 years ago. So the question that uh, is naturally raised is, well, what have you been doing in the last 15 years? And I'm not trying to be funny in saying this. This tends to happen a lot. Yeah, that's uh, almost unfortunate that it does, uh, to be honest. Uh, I, I, I feel for the guy that's sending you his 15-year-old or girl who's sending you that. Yeah, well, it may, be, it may be they've done stuff, but they're not proud of it. And that's a real problem. So we're, we're kind of out of time. Uh, before we sign off for the day, do you have any last minute or last minute, do you have any last words of, uh, of uh, inspiration, thoughts, things you'd like to pass on to our, our audience before we, uh, before we call this one uh, an end to this podcast? What I'll say is I personally find our industry very inclusive in the sense that it's not that difficult to meet people, whether it's people at a similar stage uh, in their career to, to you or people at a, at, a, at a slightly higher level or people who are at a lower level or people who've uh, been enjoying some success for a few decades. It really is not difficult, but you need to pick your spots. And by that, I mean, uh, have a normal sense of, um, of, of human decency in the sense that um, the right time to pitch your project is not necessarily five seconds after a person has just been on a panel and, and is you know desperate to either go to the bathroom or get a drink of water. Um, do things in a, in a business-like way. Introduce yourself. Say who you are. If it's the second time that you're meeting the person, but the first time might have been some months or even years ago, have the courtesy of reminding the person, here's who I am here's when we met, here's what we spoke about, and here's what's new in my life. Since the time we spoke, I've now made three shorts. One of them has been at the following festivals. Would you be prepared to take a look at it? And if you conduct yourself in that manner, I think that no matter who you are, you're going to be received very well. 
Thank you for that, uh, Dan. And 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 for those people who who are listening, I, I'm I can guarantee you the reason why Dan is giving that advice, and I believe it to be truly important advice, is because that has happened to Dan on probably more occasions than he can count. So, <laughs> well, thank you for that. I, no, thank thank you for your time today, Dan. I I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I hope that it's been helpful to people, and I'll be willing to. Come on again uh, down the road if we can talk about other, other subjects.